The views expressed on this show by guests and the hosts on issues outside of the 9-11 controlled demolition evidence are the opinions of those individuals alone and do not necessarily reflect those of architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth. Freefall. I'm the host, Andy Steele. I do not have a guest tonight, so we're going to take some time this evening to look into something that I have been interested in for a very long time, especially since I took this job here at AE 911 Truth as the operations manager way back in 2015. It seems like a long time ago, but here we are, 2021, and we keep on moving forward and some great initiatives coming your way in the world of 9-11 Truth and AE 9-11 Truth we'll be talking about in the next few weeks. But I remember back then, 2015, 2016, I was going through a, uh, you were going through some issues here in the 9-11 Truth movement. And just one day I come across this awesome lecture from Mr. Webster Tarpley. It was at the Left Forum and the lecture was titled COINTELPRO 2016. And then he talks about COINTELPRO 2.0. How does that apply right now in our internet world? How does that apply when you have activist groups uh, involving members that are scattered all over the country? How do you infiltrate them? How do you disrupt them? How do you cause them problems, keep them from reaching their goals, keep them from uh, having any power? And it's a really exciting lecture. I, it's exciting for me because it applies to my job and you can actually see some of the stuff in action. Um, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to talk a little bit about that, but I don't really, I couldn't really do that any justice talking about it myself. Mr. Tarpley is the guy who has all the experience and, uh, know-how and it's really his presentation. So I'll go over a few things from that. Uh, but I'm going to be providing a link to that video on YouTube here at 911freefall.com. It should be underneath the show description for tonight. And uh, you can watch it for yourself. I'm also have saved a copy of it just in case this video ever disappears now that I'm bringing attention to it. Uh, we can preserve a copy and have it back up lickety split. That tends to happen when we draw attention to videos here. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. But what I also wanted to do is I wanted to read this paper put out by Cass Sunstein that everybody always references. This is the one where he talks about cognitive infiltration. How does it work? And one of the main reasons I want to talk about this tonight, uh, you'll get to sort of my thesis by the end of tonight's show here, but, uh, <clears throat> but sometimes I hear people throw this term around cognitive infiltration, and they will misapply it. You know, typically when you hear about COINTELPRO, you think about agent provocateurs. You know, you go have a protest somewhere, and some guy who looks like he's in his late 30s, but he's dressed like a skater rat punk teenager, shows up and says, hey, let's smash some things up, man. Let's go attack the cops. And then they get everyone all riled up, and people follow him, and then the cops now have an excuse to go bust some heads and round up everyone and go to jail, and then makes the 
targeted group look bad because everybody gave in the crowd mentality. That absolutely goes on. Absolutely. But that's not really what Cass Sunstein is talking about in this paper here. And the, the title of the paper is Conspiracy Theories. Uh, you can actually go to the Chicago Law School website and download it. I'll have a copy of that paper up there tonight. But, uh, so you can read the whole thing for yourself. I'm just going to be going over an abridged version of it. I think it's really important because when you read from the words, the direct words of the people who don't like what you're doing, who oppose you, you can get an insight into what their plans are. They tend to just lay it out there a lot of times. It doesn't require any deep research. All you got to hear is what they're saying, what they're advocating. And then watch it take place in practice all around you. Now, it's impossible to prove that anybody is working as a cognitive infiltrator. Ultimately, if they're any good at it, you're not going to have any proof, all right? You know, unless you're Spider-Man or something going in through a heating vent and rummaging through desks and getting pictures of them uh, in some kind of uh, agency sweat clothes jogging around the track or something like that, you're never going to be able to absolutely prove it. So here's what I do. I don't worry about what people believe. I don't worry about suspicions or what people say and rumors. I look at people's behavior and I just deal with that. So if somebody's disruptive, it doesn't matter what their motivations are. They're being disruptive. They're gone. Uh, somebody's trying to cause distractions, trying to insert things that have absolutely nothing to do with the group's objectives. You get a warning. You keep on doing it. You're gone. That's it. It's based on behavior. Just like when you go to school. It doesn't matter what your motivation is if you Break the rules, you get in trouble. It's just like the law. It doesn't matter what your motivation was. If you break the law, you get in trouble. You go to jail. That's the way that you deal with it. <clears throat> and don't be afraid to stand up to it, no matter what form it takes. Now, as I said, I saw this lecture from Webster Tarpley back in the day. Something that he mentions in this is that a lot of people think, oh, it will never happen to me. I'm not important enough. I'm just a guy who shows up at an activist meeting once a week, or I attend a conference call every month. You know, I'm not that important. They, they think it's like this abstract thing, that the government isn't trying to infiltrate people. Even though it was proven, people broke into the FBI offices in Philadelphia many decades ago and released papers, stole papers, and released them documenting the FBI's COINTELPRO activities. You can watch movies like COINTELPRO 101, uh, where they talk about how, uh, in one instance, an agent to infiltrate the Puerto Rican independence movement, I believe it was, they ended up marrying the sister of one of the leaders. I mean, it can go that far. As crazy as that sounds, it's not something I would ever want to do myself. Like, I don't like living a lie, and I know I couldn't keep it up. And plus, I don't want to do that kind of work. But there are some sick people who get a thrill out of this kind of thing. And indeed, this happened. I heard about a case that was an environmental group. And somebody was uh, dating one of the leaders, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, even living with them. But he had a double life because he wasn't, uh, you know, legitimate. He wasn't legitimately in the cause. He was an agent there to spy or sabotage or do whatever. But he had a, another life going on, and it's terrible. You, also, uh, Fahrenheit 9-11, this documents how there was a group of mostly elderly people who were against the war in Iraq. Um, there was a young guy who was in the group just there, not really doing much, and then uh, he ends up getting killed in a motorcycle accident. One of the group members sees the obituary, and they see the picture of the guy 
But it turns out that uh, he had a different name. He was a police officer. The sheriff's department had sent him into the group to infiltrate and, I believe, spy on and surveil them. And uh, it turned out he was a police officer. So this definitely goes on. And, you know, if you think about it, you are important. If you're a part of this movement, it means that you didn't just watch a video on YouTube and say, hmm, that's really interesting and freaky, and then go about your day. It means that you decided to do something about it. There's so few people that actually do something, uh, even even if it's personal stuff. Someone will say, I have this great idea for a book I want to write someday. Someday I'm going to write it. And they go through their entire lives with this book never written because they just don't have the gumption to sit down and do it. All right, so it's a very rare person and successful person that actually takes the time to get involved and participate in something that's important. And think about what's been proven already. Like I said, the anti-war people are infiltrated, environmental people, Puerto Rican liberation people. Uh, now think about our issue. I mean, we have 9-11, one of the most important events in the 21st century on which, on which so much of our history has now been based uh, so many people making money off the wars that followed, so much trampling of our civil liberties, and we've been lied to about it, and we can prove it scientifically. The case has already been made that these buildings were brought down in controlled demolitions. The only thing that we're running up against are the political and, of course, media roadblocks and people's cognitive dissonance. We've got to break through that. That is our main challenge. It's not proving it. And so we can change the entire context of this thing. I mean, it would be the biggest thing that people ever did, probably in the history of the United States, with maybe the exception of uh, of, uh, of abolition of slavery. You know, but it would be right up there, pretty close. We were able to have this become the established narrative, have people's interpretation of 9-11 corrected by knowing the buildings were brought down and controlled demolitions and any other aspects of September 11th, uh, that we've been lied to about as well, going outside of AE's mission. If those get proven, that would be a big deal. I don't even need to say that. So we are more than worthy of infiltration. And we've also had a lot of energy behind us. And I'll just give one example from my own experience. Think about all the people who volunteered to call into C-SPAN years ago. You know, people give me a lot of credit, but I had a lot of help from people willing to make those calls. And when we did this, we made members of Congress and members of the mainstream media look like total asses on television, trying to avoid this. It was funny. I mean, there were people making YouTube videos of this that I didn't even know who they were. They just, you know, were seeing this and documenting it themselves. People making commentary on this. You know, we disrupted a show that had previously been censoring any talk of 9-11 truth. We got Richard on the, sh on the show to be their number one watched episode in their archives. And what I consider miraculous or just kind of, I don't know, <laughs> spiritually satisfying for me is when I called people to do this, most of them didn't know me at all. You know, I was just a stranger asking them to do something for us, saying the AE name, and pretty much all of them said yes, they were happy to do it. They followed instructions. You know, this instant connection and this instant synergy, it was amazing. Of course the bad guys don't want a repeat of something like that happening, right? Or they don't want any action behind the Bobby McElvain Act or any attention to the University of Alaska study or any of the initiatives that we do. So they have to try to undermine it in any way that they can. 
So, again, it's not just agent provocateurs. There's many ways to do it. The main goal, is, as Webster Tarkley says in this lecture, is to atomize groups and prevent big groups from taking shape or getting any traction. And you can do this in various ways. Uh, things I've seen, you can send people in to throw a monkey wrench into any projects of any significance. Uh, one way is they can object to some minor point. Just find anything to argue about. Keep a letter that should have gone out two years ago. To keep, keep, make it two years for it to go out. Um, insisting on absolute democracy in all things. Someone who's been there for five minutes has as much say as the person who's been there for five to ten years. You know, keep everything in an endless debate so nothing ever gets accomplished. Um, let's see. Uh, immediately trying to insert uh, themselves into every aspect of the organization's business. Again, they show up for five minutes and they say, I'm here. Now you got to do what I say. <laughs> trying to uh, insert themselves between the organization and its supporters. Trying to create an association of themselves with the organization. Even if the organization has told them, no, we want nothing to do with you, they will still try to insist. Um, tie the organization to them. And uh, formation of countergroups. You create a group that looks just like the original group. However, it's not. It's controlled. It's mired in the same dysfunction, even if the original group, the targeted group, uh, it's cleaning all of that up, so you got to form another group and try to get everyone behind that so that you can target that group and basically keep the same kind of disruption and dysfunction going on and maybe even uh, use it as a weapon against the targeted group later. So, And then, of course, there's a big emphasis on getting their hands on membership lists. They want your information, and we protect it. We don't just hand it out to anybody, Every any lunatic that wants to get their hands on it for whatever reason. If they're making a big deal of it, you got to be suspicious. So those are some of the things that I said, and of course the Big Ten. Now this is where I'm damned if I do and I'm damned if I don't, because I can't propose to control what everybody thinks out there in the world. Like, I wouldn't even dream that I could. You know, everyone's going to have different opinions about various things, various aspects of 9-11. It used to be that we were getting flooded with a bunch of people trying to insert, like, you know, just the completely off-topic things into our activism. Again, I don't care what anybody believes as long as you don't associate AE's name with it. So, you know, somebody wants to believe that cancer is a conspiracy and created in a lab. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know anything about that. I'm not going to begin to try to argue with the person about it. Just don't put it into your outreach with AE. So that's where I'm damned if I don't. But also, too, you know, somebody might believe something completely different from another person, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't work with them, all right? And uh, you've seen this effort now out in the 9-11 Truth Movement to use any kind of difference that people may have and use that as a sniper rifle to try to pick them off and atomize the group even further. So if somebody doesn't believe they're hijackers, they'll use that and say, you can't work with him because he doesn't believe in hijackers and try to isolate that person from the rest of 9-11 truth, try to find any kind of thing that they may disagree with, anything that might be straying from their own popular thoughts, and use that to try to keep them from being listened to or participating in any of the activities. Now, uh, we're at 15 minutes here, so I want to get to this Cass Sunstein paper. Uh, I'm going to start reading first from page 14 to 15. And, of course, this was the paper where uh, Cass Sunstein was pushing for cognitive infiltration of the 9-11... Well, he didn't say specifically the 9-11 Truth Movement, but you'll, you'll hear what he says here. At least I don't think he specifically said this, but you'll hear what he says here in the uh, in the segments I am 
going to read. But he's got a problem with conspiracy theories, and of course he's not going to come out and say, hey, they're on to it. We need to get the control on it. He's going to talk about it like it's a problem. You know, at one point he says in here that it undermines democracy and all of this nonsense. So let's hear what Mr. Cass Sunstein advocated for, and let's hear what cognitive infiltration really is. It's not the same as agent provocateurs. It's a completely different thing. All right, page 14. Governmental responses. What can government do about conspiracy theories? Among the things it can do, what should it do? We can readily imagine a series of possible responses. One, government might ban conspiracy theorizing. Two, government might impose some kind of tax, financial or otherwise, on those who disseminate such theories. Three, government might itself engage in counterspeech, marshalling arguments to discredit conspiracy theories. Four, government might formally hire credible private parties to engage in counterspeech. Five, government might engage in informal communication with such parties, encouraging them to help. Each instrument has a distinctive set of potential effects or costs and benefits, and each will have a place under imaginable conditions. However, our main policy idea is that government should engage in cognitive infiltration of the groups that produce conspiracy theories, which involves a mix of three, four, and five. If one believes that conspiracy theories are in some sense inconsequential, the best answer will be for government to ignore them. If children believe in Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny, there is no problem for government to solve. And the belief that the government covered up the landing of space aliens in Roswell does not seem to be causing discernible harm, with the possible exception of bad television shows. And that's why that stuff's allowed to be on TV, folks. I love how people try to point to the History Channel special, allegedly debunking uh, 9-11 conspiracy theories. But then you turn on the History Channel, and it's like 12 hours of ancient aliens and uh, just total crazy stuff. There was one that was trying to advocate that the Colossus of Rhodes was a robot that would fight off threats. I didn't stand there and watch it, but they had some graphic of the thing running around like Voltron. It was hilarious. So that's the History Channel, that great source of uh, debunking there, talking about ancient aliens and Nostradamus. This does not imply that, and this is back to Cass Sunstein, this does not imply that government should ignore conspiracy theories only if they are inconsequential. As we will see, under certain conditions, government may do best to ignore conspiracy theorists and theorists, even if it justifiably fears that they will have harmful effects because government action may make things worse. In Section A, however, we give some reasons to think that some conspiracy theories are consequential indeed. In Section B, we address several dilemmas of government response to conspiracy theories and theorists. It is best to ignore them, creating a risk that the theory will spread unrebutted, or to address them with the risk that addressing the theory will legitimate and even be taken to confirm it. Assuming budget constraints and limited resources... Should government efforts focus on de-biasing the conspiracy theorists themselves or solely on preventing the spread of conspiracy theories among the larger population? How can government get behind or around the distinctive feature of conspiracy theories? Their self-sealing quality, which tends to fold government's denials into the theory itself as further evidence of the conspiracy? An obvious answer is to maintain an open society in which those who are tempted to subscribe to conspiracy theories do not distrust all knowledge-creating institutions and are exposed to corrections. We have seen that even in open societies, conspiracy theories have some traction, and open societies have a strong interest in debunking such theories when they arise and threaten to cause harm in closed societies. Here we suggest two concrete ideas for government officials attempting to fashion a response to such theories. 
First, responding to more rather than fewer conspiracy theories has a kind of synergy benefit. It reduces the legitimating effect of responding to any one of them because it dilutes the contrast with unrebutted theories. Second, we suggest a distinctive tactic for breaking up the hardcore of extremists who supply conspiracy theories, cognitive infiltration of extremist groups, whereby government agents or their allies acting either virtually or in real space and either openly or anonymously will undermine the crippled epistemology of those who subscribe to such theories. They do so by planning doubts about the theories and stylized facts that circulate within such groups, thereby introducing beneficial cognitive diversity. That is interesting. So look, it's not the same as agent provocateuring. What they're talking about is having people come into 9-11 truth groups or come onto social media proclaiming to be 9-11 truth activists, be all for exposing what really happened, looking into the evidence of any aspect of it. You know, it could be uh, the World Trade Center evidence, it could be Shanksville, it could be the Pentagon, and basically, you know, coming in there, I'm a truther, but starting to present the government's side, starting to make that argument. You should look at both sides. I always tell people to do that. I have read NIST's response. you got to look at what the government's responses are, but you got to look at the behavior of people, too. You know, I mean, how vehement are they with pushing a government narrative? You know, I'll give one example. This whole idea that holograms hit the towers, I think, is utterly ridiculous. I don't even want to hear people bring this up to me. It's just bonkers, in my view. But how much do you actually hear me talk about this? You know, I mean, a human being only has so much time during the day. There's a portion of it you spend sleeping. you got to eat. Uh, you need a little bit of free time to make your brain rest. So you only get, like, a, a certain amount of time each day to put towards action. Would that be a good use of my time to be going out writing papers, giving lectures, arguing with people on Facebook about whether or not a Disney cartoon hit the World Trade Center? I just write it off as ridiculous. You know, those people exist out there. I see them say this, but I don't spend my time going after them because that would be stupid. What I do is I focus on World Trade Center 7 and the Twin Towers and what actually unites the truth movement because people, I mean, most people will agree that these buildings were brought down in controlled demolitions, people within the truth movement. That is what unites us. That is what I focus on. If people do work for me, I say, look, you believe something, just keep it out of your activism for eight, you know, two. But I can't control what people think if somebody doesn't believe we landed on the moon. As long as they keep that out of their activism, but they're doing some good work for us, I, you know, who am I to argue with them about? I don't even know anything about that issue, really. I've heard it mentioned, but I can't control what everybody thinks. So that's how I deal with it. I don't spend my time giving lectures to people about how holograms didn't hit the towers. I focus on what we can all unite behind, what we can actually prove is wrong with the official story. So you got to look at that. you got to look at people who are trying to play upon these differences of opinion on certain aspects of 9-11 and sort of create what I call a 9-11 truth Taliban. Where we're going to go after anybody. We're going to put them through an inquisition. We're going to interrogate them and get them to renounce this part of 9-11 truth that they don't personally agree with. And typically, a lot of times what they will do is they will start the problems themselves. They'll go out and accuse people of being agents. They'll vehemently do it. And then when somebody fights back, like any kind of bully, they cry victim. It doesn't work with me. 
because I actually look into how these things started. I don't have sympathy for people who start trouble. You don't want trouble, don't start trouble. And they're taking their reinforcement of an aspect of the official story to an extreme where it actually occupies more of their time. And they'll issue these threats. They'll say that if you don't, if you don't exclude somebody who disagrees with them on a particular issue, the whole 9-11 truth movement is screwed. I mean, this is a soft underbelly of the 9-11 truth movement. And watch out, too, for the same talking points coming from different people. One person says soft underbelly here and soft underbelly there. I'll tell you what, man. We've been baptized by fire. We don't have a soft underbelly. we got a six-pack here at AE 9-11 Truth. We've endured every kind of attack. Yeah, bring it. Just bring it. Nothing's phasing us at this point. We are fine because we just focus on what we do. And there are people, you know, here at AE 9 Truth, there's people who disagree politically, who disagree on other aspects of 9-11, on other issues, other things that people talk about. But we work together just great because we have one mission and we all pursue it. And we do what we need to to push that mission. And you got to look at what they're saying. First of all, if, if there's people out there calling other 9-11 truthers conspiracy theorists, you got to wonder because if you're a 9-11 truth person, you yourself are a conspiracy theorist, you know, what the, the outside wants to call you, at least on one thing. <laughs> You know, truthers don't typically refer to another person as a conspiracy theorist. You know, it's not typically a slur that we will throw around. You know, the good news is that they're not very good at it. You know, they have videos that have maybe 20 views because people just turn them off. But they're persistent, and they do some pretty crappy things uh, when they get frustrated. But, um... Why am I talking about this today? Because for years, and we know that there's a lot of division out there regarding the Pentagon. And my opinion of that is just release all the videos. There you go. People have wondered what my opinion is of that. Release all the videos, and then you'll have a clear picture of what went on. Anybody on any side of that issue ought to be advocating for that. I don't know why you want it. I mean, wouldn't you want to spend all your time, rather talking about Building 7 and advocating for that rather than having to argue with people. So let's just all join in one call for those videos to be released. I don't want to hear that I don't need to see it. I want to see it. I don't want to hear that I'm not going to see anything. Show me I'm not going to see anything. I'm seeing birds flying. I want to see those birds flying. Some of these people are, are setting their sights on other things. I'm looking at a meme here, and uh, it shows World Trade Center 7. At the top of it says, it's 5.20 p.m. Who am I killing? And it's advocating for this person's group. So now we're starting to see this narrative put out there that we should not be looking at the science of the World Trade Center destructions, especially Building 7, because according to the official story, I mean, Barry Jennings may have had something else to say about this, but according to the official story, which we'll go with, nobody died in World Trade Center 7. So who cares? Who cares about that? All right. Now, I'm hoping that you see through the fallacy in that argument, because Building 7 being such an obvious controlled demolition, falling and only seven seconds straight down, you can't do that in a day. You had to know 9-11 was going to come. This is why the movement focuses so much on this. Of course it's so important. 
because it's a key piece of this entire 9-11 puzzle that shows that we've been lied to about the entire event that makes people look at the entire event in a different light when you look at Building 7 because of the impossibility of the government's story. So this idea that you cannot have an opinion on this or that you should not care about the towers coming down because of controlled demolitions is absolutely preposterous. It's suspicious. It should just be rejected on its face. It's people trying to get you off the track. All right, They'd rather have you get lost in a mirror maze of geopolitics they do not want you to look at the science, so you need to use your own brain and reject this stuff outright, because that is where this is going right now. And I may have more to say on this in the future. So, but thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. What can government do about conspiracy theories? Among the things it can do, what should it do? We can readily imagine a series of possible responses. 1. Government might ban conspiracy theorizing. 2. Government might impose some kind of tax, financial or otherwise, on those who disseminate such theories. 3. Government might itself engage in counter-speech, marshalling arguments to discredit conspiracy theories. Four government might formally hire credible private parties to engage in counter-speech. 5. Government might engage in informal communication with such parties, encouraging them to help. Each instrument has a distinctive set of potential effects, or costs, and benefits, and each will have a place under imaginable conditions. However, our main policy idea is that government should engage in cognitive infiltration of the groups that produce conspiracy theories, which involves a mix of 3, 4, and 5. Here we suggest two concrete ideas for government officials attempting to fashion a response to such theories. First, Responding to more rather than fewer conspiracy theories has a kind of synergy benefit, it reduces the legitimating effect of responding to any one of them, because it dilutes the contrast with unrebutted theories. Second, we suggest a distinctive tactic for breaking up the hardcore of extremists who supply conspiracy theories, cognitive infiltration of extremist groups, whereby government agents or their allies, acting either virtually or in real space, and either openly or anonymously, will undermine the crippled epistemology of those who subscribe to such theories. They do so by planting doubts about the theories and stylized facts that circulate within such groups, thereby introducing beneficial cognitive diversity. In another variant, government officials would participate anonymously or even with false identities. Each approach has distinct costs and benefits, the second is riskier but potentially brings higher returns. In the former case, where government officials participate openly as such, hardcore members of the relevant networks, communities, and conspiracy-minded organizations may entirely discount what the officials say, right from the beginning. The risk with tactics of anonymous participation, conversely, is that if the tactic becomes known, 
any true member of the relevant groups who raises doubts may be suspected of government connections. Despite these difficulties, the two forms of cognitive infiltration offer different risk-reward mixes and are both potentially useful instruments. There is a similar trade-off along another dimension, whether the infiltration should occur in the real world, through physical penetration of conspiracist groups by undercover agents, or instead should occur strictly in cyberspace. The latter is safer, but potentially less productive. The former will sometimes be indispensable, where the groups that purvey conspiracy theories, and perhaps themselves formulate conspiracies, formulate their views through real space informational networks rather than virtual networks. If government can dispel such theories, it should do so. One problem is that its efforts might be counterproductive, because efforts to rebut conspiracy theories also legitimate them. We have suggested, however, that government can minimize this effect by rebutting more rather than fewer theories, by enlisting independent groups to supply rebuttals, and by cognitive infiltration designed to break up the crippled epistemology of conspiracy-minded groups and informationally isolated social networks.